And I just do not get sick of it. It is just wonderful, wonderful stuff in there. Last week I talked about a very long sentence and I only realised this morning when Shabu asked me to read this that we've got another long sentence so maybe we need to get back to the bridge at Phillip Island and have a shot at this. But listen to these great words. Again, we know that when the word of God is read that God speaks. This is a a time that God speaks during our service. So we're looking at Titus 3 uh, starting from verse 1. In fact, why don't we, we haven't done this for a while, why don't we stand while we read God's word this morning? Let's do that together. Why don't we stand? Just dwell on these words from God. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. Take your seats. Thanks, Shabu. Thanks, John. There's times when you read passages in scripture and sometimes it just explains itself and I just feel like I need to go sit down and let you guys meditate on that for the next 40 minutes and uh, but I need to feed my kids so uh, I'm up here preaching. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. Um, I do need to feed my kids but let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word, and as John said, uh, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, both to us individually, but also to us as a community. I pray for the things that are uh, distracting us right now in our hearts, from noises uh, to things going on in our lives. We ask that you'd help us to be still, and to ask that you would speak to us. Uh, May it be for your glory, Lord Jesus, and your glory alone. In your name. Amen. Well, if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, a special welcome to you again. Uh, And as you know, as you've heard, we as a church have been traveling through this book of Titus. It's been a great book. It's a beautiful letter, a letter written by a guy called Paul, and he's a planter, uh, an apostle. He's a leader of leaders. He's writing to Titus, who's described as someone uh, he not just calls us a ministry worker, it's not just a working relationship, he calls him his true son of the faith. There's a deep discipleship relationship going there. Uh, Titus is a pastor of a, a network of churches and, and he's pastoring it. And there's a lot of challenges that are going on in the church. One of the big challenges though, I think it starts in Titus 1, where we lay the foundation what this whole letter is about. That it's about doctrine, but doctrine that is based on the gospel of grace. That is the constant reminder throughout all of the chapters, all of every through every single chapter in Titus. You see, keep it, keep see it, keep coming up. So, Paul is writing to this pastor, and there is a group of guys who are sort of um, distracting this church. And the group of guys, what we've learnt is uh, the Judaizers or the circumcision party who come along and say, "Look, yes, you believe in Jesus and faith, but let's add an extra thing to the gospel." And Paul's response is very clear. Titus, you tell them to shut up. You tell them to be very quiet. And then you need to come back and bring this church back into order. And how do you do that? Well, you need leaders. 
And we talked about what does it look like to set up an eldership in this church. And this eldership is not based on uh, people who are you know, really good, good at it or skilled. It's all based on character. And then we see the opposite of that, of those people who are against the gospel in the, the circumcision party. And Titus is instructed again, listen, you need to be grounded in the gospel. You need to be grounded in the gospel of grace, this true doctrine that I want you to go and teach that and get older men who will invest into younger men, older women who will invest into younger women. And he's reminded again as a pastor what is the key things you need to invest in. So this constant thing is reminded, and and not only that, last week we were reminded that this idea of grace is not just something you're passive to it. You don't just go, look, I have received Jesus, I have grace, and in light of that, I just sit back and wait for Jesus to return. No, in light of that, your life should shift. It should change. It should change in the way that you live, that you renounce all kinds of ungodliness that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus. Because we are also, as Christians, waiting for a hope of the return that Jesus is returning. That's a good thing. But in the meantime, like I said, we don't just sit around and wait for Jesus' return. We are called to be people who are zealous to look for every opportunity to do good work. Not that it saves us, but because of what Jesus has done, we're compelled, we're moved to do good works. So Titus is reminded as they declare this, teach it with all authority. Titus, lead your church. So we come up to this passage. Now, you read this passage, you heard it read to you. It's pretty straightforward. It doesn't sort of try to figure out, I wonder what that says. It's very clear. Titus is told by Paul, remind them. And who's them? Well, in this context, I would say it is uh, maybe it could be the older men, could be the older women, could be the older, um, younger guys, the young women. But the point is actually them, meaning I would say with the whole church in this letter. Remind them to be submissive to rulers, submissive to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle to show perfect courtesy or kindness toward all people. He's asking Titus, listen, I want you to remind them. What's your memory like? What's your memory like? (laughs) Mine, exactly the same. If you talk to my beautiful wife, she will uh, attest to that I am, my memory is just absolutely terrible. You know when the story goes, usually when you're sitting and you're sharing a story, and I'm usually like, yeah, about five years ago, and Beck's like seven. Uh, you know, the, the, the truck was red and um, blue. Uh, you know, like, my memory is absolutely terrible. And in my culture, it's a good thing that my memory is bad. You know why? Because in our culture, we have this wonderful thing that anyone who is older than you, you just call them uncle and auntie. And you don't have to remember their name. That's fantastic. I don't have to remember the name. It's uncle, auntie, whew, that's easy. But what's your memory like when it comes to the truths of who Jesus is and what he's done? What's your memory like when it comes to the truths of Jesus and who he is and what he's done? What is it like when it comes to when Jesus turns around to you and says, yes, you're a follower of Jesus now, be an ambassador for me where I placed you? What's your memory like in those moments? 
What's your memory like in particular in your interactions with people who don't know Jesus? This is what this passage is trying to get at. It seems that this church may have forgotten. They, they understand and have been reminded of grace. They've been reminded what it means to be living under this gospel of grace that uh, Paul constantly continues to hammer throughout all of Titus. But it should also show in the way they interact with people around them, particularly in the culture they're living in, particularly with those who don't know Jesus. And the context, firstly, starts off talking about submission. How you submit to the rulers and authorities around you, the church that Titus is pastoring, how you submit to that, guys, is going to reflect who you follow in your witness about Jesus. How you show courtesy or kindness is going to reflect who you belong to in that you belong to Jesus. It should show that you belong to Jesus in these actions. And in this first few verses, Titus is told, mate, I want you to remind this church, remind them again. Now, this point is to say it's not just reminding them once. It's saying remind them again, over and over, constantly, continuously, you will have to remind them because just like that church, we're all forgetful people, all of us. And in this context, it's talking specifically not just uh, rules and authority in the sense of the elders in that church or uh, you know, the older people or the older women. It's actually talking in the context of the rulers around in that city, the government and the authorities that are over you. And this is not talking about a compromising kind of submission. This is not talking about you put that submission over your faith in Jesus, okay? This is talking about a different kind of submission, a, a humble submission. How you engage with the people around you who don't know Jesus. And the whole idea is that it's not just a passive kind of submission either. It's not like, oh, I'll just kick back, okay, God tells me to submit, I'll just sit here and submit. No, it's actually quite engaging because in those verses we hear looking for every good work. We submit, we're obedient to these authorities, but we're also looking for opportunities to represent Jesus by the work that we do. So there's an active uh, involvement in the world that they live in. This is what this church has been reminded to do. Now what about in an Aussie context? I'm sure we love authority, don't we? Aussies love authority, don't they? Definitely not. (laughs) There's something about in the Australian culture that when we see someone who's a bit authoritative or sort of rules over us, there's something in us that fights. They call it the Aussie pride. That comes out. And we, we saw that in the last few weeks, didn't we? So Queensland, G20 was on, no matter what you think on that whole concept. We saw how we viewed authority. It was very clear to see. We saw it in the papers. We saw in the commentary on the news. You know, the President of the United States gets up. He's about to do a speech. And everyone's in awe. Everyone's listening. Everyone's like, wow, you know, Barack Obama, amazing president. When our Prime Minister is about to open his mouth, there's this sense in all of us going, oh, I hope he doesn't say anything. There's this sense of embarrassment or something. There's a sense of if he says something, all these leaders, these political leaders that God has placed in his providence, in his sovereignty for whatever purpose, there's part of us that goes, oh, what is that? What's driving all of that? 
What's at the heart of that? We might even shake our heads at some of the things that they say. And maybe we should. (laughs) Maybe they do say things and you're like, my goodness. But look, politicians are easy to pick on, right? What about in our daily life? In our daily life, we all have authority that we're under. When you were driving here, you were meant to stick to a speed limit. How'd you go? Look, I know it says 60. That's a recommendation. I'm in a hurry. 65 is not too bad. We see it come out when we have this authority in force on us. So when the speeding fine comes in the mail and we look at it and go, it's a 60 zone. Look, I know it says 60. I was only 64. We argue against that authority. But you break the law. What about in those moments where we're t- um, sending our tax lodgement in and we're thinking to ourselves, oh, look, I might shift these things, figures around just to get the best out because the government doesn't need my money. There's this thing that drives in us. Oh, those parking ticket guys are like vultures. I parked in a two-hour car park. Yes, I was there for eight hours, I know, but how, they, how dare they find me? I'm going to catch the train. Look, I'm going to go to a train station that doesn't have any ticket people. Jump in. What, you're finding me? Look, there was no ticket person there. I didn't have time to get my Mikey card or put money in it. Church, there's this something in us, in all of us, that drives that sort of fight against any kind of submission authority. But church, we are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are under authority. We are under the authority of the living God, the creator of the universe. But it's not an authority in where it's sort of like barking orders. It's a loving, gracious authority like a parent who says, I'm going to give you these commands because I love you. I want you to turn away from those things that are calling you to run into sin because I love you because if you do that, it will go bad for you. It's a loving authority. It's a gracious authority. But in light of that, God says if we're going to be his representatives here on this earth, he's placed certain authorities over us and we too should submit to that. Not in the compromise of our faith, but in the way that God has said it. Because ultimately this world and all the authorities and all the rulers and the kings and prime ministers, they will not be perfect. They will fail because there's only one king and ruler who is always perfect. That's Jesus. That is the one we ultimately submit to, but in light of that, we submit to people around us. But authorities, you know, the things that people um, are placed, we're placed under. But what about in verse 2? Verse 2 continues, says, Speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. All people. That means everyone. That means what about your friends who absolutely does, cannot stand Jesus? They don't know Jesus. We're talking about people who don't know Jesus. What about that atheist friend who loves bagging out the Christian faith? Is happy to do that, to mock it. How do you go about loving them? How do you go about not speaking evil of them, about not quarreling with them, about not being, being gentle with them to show perfect courtesy? What about those who are in the political realm of the same-sex advocates who are against what we believe as Christians that we ought to believe? 
What is our response to them? I'm not talking about compromising here, but what is our heartfelt response? What is our response to our Muslim neighbor or friend who doesn't know Jesus? What is our response in those moments? Are we doing what these verses say in verse 2? What about groups that are totally against Jesus? We see that in the moment against schools and chaplains and having CRE teachers and so on. But what is our response if they don't know Jesus? And I'm not talking in apathy and neither am I saying in compromise. But what is our attitude? What about our friend who doesn't know Jesus, who's constantly putting up pictures on Facebook and Instagram about their wonderful weekend and how wasted they got? Do we just roll our eyes and shake our head? Friends who are addicted to various kind of addictions, who doesn't know Jesus, do we just roll our head and shake, roll our eyes and shake our head? <laughs> Even for me, as a parent, as a Christian parent, I've got to confess to you, there have been times when I've been in a cafe somewhere, and my kids sometimes are acting really well. And I see someone who might know Jesus, might not know, and mum's doing something, and dad's doing something, and swearing at the wife, and there's a part of me that goes, <sighs> have you ever done that? Do we respond in the way it says in verse 2? Because yeah, it's very easy for us uh, not to speak of e- evil of people who like us. Very easy. It's very easy of us to be humble to those who actually get on with well with us. But the question is, what's driving this reminder by Paul? Do you know, if you look at that list that Paul says, this is how you ought to act. Remind them to be submissive, to rulers, authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Do you know, if you want to put a little box around what driving all of that to be the total opposite of that, it's pride. Pride is at the heart of all of those. If you want to go against that, if you want to see what it looks like, Pride is what drives total opposite of that. Why do we fall into that? Why do we as Christians so easily jump into that little boat of pride? Well, it says it very clearly. At the heart of it, we forget. At the heart of it, we forget. Do you know what we forget? We forget where we've been into the depths that Jesus went to to save us. In the verses, in verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of our works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, I don't know how long, um, maybe you've been driving for a long time, but I know when I am driving on the road and I see a learner, driver, two things go in my mind. One, I hope I don't get stuck behind them. And two, I'm watching the road because I'm wondering what they're going to do. 
when we uh, have been driving for a while, it's very easy for us to see these learner drivers and see them as, can't believe what they're about to do. Oh my goodness, look how slow they're going. Look what they're doing, how they're swerving. What's, what's going on? Oh, are they turning? Oh no, they're going to hit me. We beep. Maybe you don't, I do. <laughs> you can pray for me. Um, that's a confession right there. Um, but even for those of us who've just got our peace, it's exciting, it's great. We're excited for you. Some of us are excited, some of us are scared. But we're excited at the same time, and you're excited to drive. But next time you see a learner driver, there's a part of you that'll go, oh my goodness. Because at the heart of it, all of us forget. We were all learner drivers at some point. We had no idea. But here in this passage, what it's going is far more deeper. Friends, when you read those verses or when you heard them, do they just wash over you as information? Do they just wash over your heart as, oh yeah, that's nice? Because if they do, please be careful. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, must and cannot just become information for those people. Paul is writing to a pastor who's a Christian who understands the gospel. He's been under the discipleship of Paul. So I'm guessing he understands a little bit about the grace context and the whole idea of that theology. I'm guessing he understands that. But right now, Paul is reminding this pastor, remind them, because they too were lost. So are you, Titus. And that means for us, we too need to be reminded. We too need to be reminded of this grace the length that Jesus went to. Brothers and sisters, if you've grown up in the church and over time if this has become just information, be careful. Never let the gospel of Jesus Christ just become information to you. Constantly pray that it will capture your heart. It must capture your heart. Because you and I, we were all fools. If it wasn't for Jesus. We were all disobedient if it wasn't for Jesus. We were all led astray if it wasn't for Jesus. We were all slaves to passions and pleasures, passing our time, gossiping, backstabbing, hating one another, if not verbally, outwardly, or even inwardly in our hearts. All these things might have still been going on in our hearts. This is who we were. And now we see in verse 4, probably one of my favorite words in the Bible in the English translation. But. But. Despite of who we were, despite of what we've done, despite of where we've been, God in his kindness, in his mercy, in his grace, appears in Jesus Christ, in his perfect timing, as part of his plan to save us. And why does he do it? Think about it. He didn't come to save us because he thought, wow, they're amazing, a bunch of people. You know, I think I'll die for them. Despite of who we were, he said, I'm going to die for them because they are my children. I'm going to die and purchase them. I'm going to send them my only son. Not because of the good things that we do. It's not about the good things. It's simply because of who God is in his character, his grace, his mercy, his kindness. But not only does Jesus come in and save us from an eternity without him, but he comes in and says, here, I'm going to grab you, I'm going to dunk you, 
I'm going to clean up that muck that's going on in your life and heart. And when we've turned ourselves to Jesus in faith, and we say yes to Jesus being the Lord of our lives, he comes in and says, all right, let's go. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to clean you up from inside in your heart. I'm going to go for your heart. I'm going to do that not just with your, oh, you can't do it, so I'm going to give you someone. I'm going to give you myself, my Holy Spirit. He's going to come. He's going to come and live in you 100%. He's going to empower you also to do good works, but also he will convict you. He will change you. He will shape you. And when you read these verses, the whole point is for you to look at it and for me to look at it, for the church to hear it in Titus's time and go, there's nothing I've done. It is all God's work. It is all God's glorious, beautiful, gracious work. Because it is his grace that says, you're right with me. It's not on our own strength. And in light of that, we become people who inherit something. We inherit, we we become in relationship with God, but we also inherit eternal life. And we get to spend eternity with Jesus. This is what the Christian faith is about. This is the length that Jesus went to. This is what Jesus has done. It's all because of his grace. Now, if you don't know Jesus, the Bible is very clear where you stand. God is very clear where you stand. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, this tells me, this tells you that you are lost. You are a slave. But God wants to offer you something amazing. He wants to offer you a relationship with him. Not only that, he wants to clean up all that muck. He wants to come and live in your heart because the reality is you can't do it. And he's done it and he will continue to do it. And church, all of you, despite of what stage of the Christian faith you're in, whether if you've been someone who's just come to Christ or someone who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, you would be lost. You would be still stuck where you are. And an eternity without God was what would be waiting for you. If it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, I know for a fact that I would still be a club promoter, trying to DJ, selling drugs. Either I would be dead or I would be in jail. I know that. If it wasn't for the grace of God, there are some of you who have grown up in the church, understand the church language, know it full well. But you know it's not till recently or maybe over time God's grace is shaking you and making you realize, wow, it doesn't matter of all the good things that I've done, whether I've been to youth group all my life, if I've done all the Bible studies, if it wasn't for the grace of God, there's no way I could stand. No matter what spectrum of you're being in. So God's grace is what sets our Christian faith apart from any other religion that's out there. Because God's grace says, you can't do it. I've done it, I'll continue to do it. And every other religion says, well, if you want to do this, you want to achieve this holiness, you need to do these things. And maybe you'll get into heaven, or maybe you might not. Hopefully we'll see. God's grace says, I've done it, I will continue to do it. So in light of that church, this is why this passage says, well, in light of this reminder, in light of who you are in Jesus, you ought to live a particular way. And in particular, how you engage with those who don't know Jesus. So this means, 
for next time when you are on Facebook or Twitter or those blogs or Instagrams and you're seeing those feeds come up, you know those feeds? Certain comments, newspaper articles. As a Christian, something in you boils and you want to attack them. Maybe they're a friend of yours, who knows? Maybe read this passage and remind yourself where you've been. Because if they don't know Jesus, they're not going to see it. They need to know Jesus first before we go to the moral code of things. Maybe next time you're in your discussions uh, at work and, and you see uh, the political realm going around and people arguing back and forth of what's the right thing to do. Rather than picking a side and sort of just attacking your politician, maybe think about how you respond in a way that is showing that God's grace is on you and in light of that you respond in a gracious way. That means next time you see the Prime Minister before you shake your head or nod your head or whatever political realm you're in, pray for them. Because God actually tells you to pray for them. Church, this whole idea of the gospel of grace should actually humble us. It is the total opposite of pride. It should cause our hearts to go, there's nothing I have to stand in. So when I'm talking to my friends who don't know Jesus and they're talking about things, there's a part of me that gets this superior sort of spiritual arrogance that starts creeping up. I need to ask the Holy Spirit to say, help me to be quiet. Help me to listen to their heart. Help me to talk to them about Jesus' grace, not to attack their moral code, but actually talk about Jesus and who he is. Because until they grasp who Jesus is and what he's done, they will not wake up to the depths of how lost they are. And this is the kind of witness God calls us to. And it's the witness in where we don't just live in this world and exist We are meant to engage in them. This is why this passage also talks about look for every opportunity for good work. Not because it saves us, because Christ has set us apart. He's made us new. He's making us and changing us to become more like him. And then we have this opportunity to go, because of so much of what Jesus has done, I can't but help live this way. It should flow out in us, wherever God has placed us. In a minute, I'm going to ask the music team to come up and this song they're going to play, it's an opportunity for us to sit still, to be quiet, to pray, to talk, to write, whatever. Maybe even look at these verses. And I want you to answer these questions in your own heart. So in light of this passage, currently, where are you not submitting under an authority that God has placed over you? Whether if it's a government thing or whether if it's an authority at work, Where are you currently not submitting as God expects you to? Talk to God about that. The second question. Where are you at the moment in your attitude towards your unbelieving friends not really living out verse 2? We are not being, you're speaking of evil, you're not actually avoiding quarreling, you're actually not being gentle, you're not showing courtesy. So where are you currently not living that truth? And thirdly, maybe you followed Jesus for a long time. Have you forgotten? Has this just become information for those people? Use this time to be still, to reflect on the gospel again afresh. And maybe you're someone here for the first time, you've heard this and not realized that you actually don't know Jesus. You would like to have a relationship with him. 
If God has spoken you through his word, we'd love to chat to you. Maybe chat to the person who brought you this morning, or maybe grab either Nathan, John, and myself and love to chat to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But church, we also need to see in the context that this verse is Jesus displayed this in wonderful reality. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, as um, Leslie shared earlier, his title was willing to come and live under the authority of this government that was set up at that time. He lived according to that. He actually displayed this reality of the gospel in his attitude to the sinners and the people around that he interacted with. He didn't just beat them. He didn't even aim at having a go at them. It's usually the religious ones that he had a go at. He was under authority. He always did not speak evil of no one. He was gentle. He avoided conflicts. And this is what Jesus did. He modeled it. And in light of that, we are to look to him. Because he's the one who enables us to do so through his spirit. I'd invite the team to come up while I pray. So as the song plays, I want you to use this time just to reflect Reflect on the reality. Is there anywhere in your life right now you're not submitting unto authority, unto God's hand? Is there anywhere that you are showing the wrong attitude to an unbelieving friend? And thirdly, are you someone who's actually totally forgotten about this wonderful grace? You need to be reminded of that. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. Please, we pray that you will continue to remind us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.